Welcome to the 
found the poise to say, Odysseus, now that you have come to my bronze-floored house, my vaulted roof, I know you won't be driven off your course. Nothing can hold you back. However much you've suffered, you will sail home. Here, friends, here's a command from one and all who frequents my palace day and night and drink the shining wines of kings and enjoy the harper's songs. And so he's telling them to give Odysseus robes and, and hammered gold objects and so on, other gifts. And these are parting gifts. Like he's on a game show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it says, um, come, let's add a sumptuous tripod, add a cauldron, and so on. He's giving him a bunch of stuff. And then he says how he's going to recover his losses. He says, we'll recover our costs with levies on the people. Nice. So, uh, and the, in, just like in the modern era, you know, the rich help each other, and it's the poor who pays for it. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Well, typical, typical uh, elitists. And so, his elitist aristocrats respond, he said, the king's instructions met with a warm applause. I, I bet they did. Yeah, of course. Of yeah. course they did. Um, and then um, they uh, they make a sacrifice of an ox to Zeus, the king of the gods, you know. And then they tell Demodocus, the uh, harpist singer, you know, to perform again. It says, this time Odysseus turned his face towards the radiant sun, anxious for it to set, because in the, in the morning he'll be gone, as he was yearning to be gone and home once more. But then he addresses his host, Alcinous. Alcinous, majesty, shining among your island people, make your libations, launch me safely on my way, to one and all farewell. All is now made good, my heart's desire, your convoy home, your precious loving gifts, and may the gods of Olympus bless them for me. May I find my unswerving wife when I reach home and loved ones unharmed. So he's on his way finally. Well, we're almost. coming down almost. almost exactly. We're coming down the stretch. Like he's at least he's gone through now he's on that i guess what would you call it, the last leg of the journey in a sense so yeah. okay yeah and it says all burst into applause and so on and then um Alcinous tells uh, his herald to mix wine they they always diluted their wine with water ancient greeks I heard they diluted it with a lot of different things, too. The, well, the Romans certainly had a lot of different things that they mixed their wine with. It's just we, you know, we think of it the way we appreciate vintages now, but they were mixing it with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, fascinating enough. Yeah, yeah. And so when they fill their uh, cups, it's not glasses, but cups, and they look more like bowls, actually. And then they tip libations out to the gods, you know. And then it says, King Odysseus rose up from his seat, uh, placing his two-eared cup and a reti 
he addresses the queen. So Aridi is the queen. Uh huh. He says, Your health, my queen. Through all your days to come, until old age and death that visit all mankind, pay you visit to. Now I am on my way, but you, may you take joy in this house of yours and your children, your people, and in Alkinos the king. With that great Odysseus strode across the threshold, and King Alkinos sent a herald off with the, with the guests to lead him down to the swift ship, and he gave him a sea cloak and so on. So he's trying to get going. Yeah, setting him on his way, giving him his, his as you say, his parting gifts and letting getting him ready for his journey home. So he gets on board the ship. At last, Odysseus climbed aboard himself, and he lay down all quiet. And then again, I think he suffered from narcolepsy, narcolepsy because he goes to sleep. Yeah, he does fall asleep a lot. He does, although, you know, the guy's... One way to look at it, the guy is having uh, uh, quite a an arduous experience in life. Yeah. And sometimes that's one way to deal with it, just to kind of shut down. You know, the body just shuts you down. So either that or, yeah, he needs to talk to somebody. And then it says, and soon as they, meaning the crew, swung back and the blades tossed into the spray, an irresistible sleep fell deeply on his eyes. So anyhow, the ship is burying the man. Mm -hmm. So he's asleep, ship's off, right? The one who suffered 20 years of torment and so on. Mm -hmm. But now he slept in peace. And then that hour when the star rose up, the clearest, brightest star that always heralds the newborn light of day, the deep sea going ship made landfall on the island, Ithaca at last. You've, uh, uh, just to kind of talk about it a little bit, you have been in search of the Palace of Odysseus for a long time, and you've had, you've mentioned it on other podcasts, your yep. own beliefs about where Ithaca is, the island itself. Why don't you say a little bit about that again? <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't believe it's the island they call Ithaca today. It doesn't match Homer's description, as we'll see here. Mm-hmm. Because it, um, in the next section it says, and there on the coast, a haven lies, meaning a little bay called Forces, named after the old god of the deep. And there was another sea god. Uh-huh. It has two jutting headlands. And there's nothing like that on modern Ithaca, but on the, on the north side of the uh, isthmus, you know, the, the isthmus on Kefalonia, I keep talking about, which is the westernmost uh-huh. extension of the island. Uh, and uh, on that isthmus at the top is a little bay with two jutting headlands, just like uh, Homer says. So where do you think Ithaca is uh, in modern terms, just for the listener to understand? I think it's on the island of Kefalonia and on the isthmus on the extreme west. Okay. Good. Yeah. just wanted to <clears throat> I don't think it was an isthmus. to hear that. 3,000 years ago. Uh, like I said, there was a book. Uh, published by Cambridge University Press called Odysseus Unbound. Mm-hmm. And it made the case that uh, the Isthmus was a separate island 3,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
So, and so Odysseus is on his in his Odysseus on his journey. Okay, on his way home. Yeah, the Isthmus today is called Paliki. And um, so, anyhow, that's where they, <clears throat> you know, they arrive, and he says that they, uh, the ship uh, sails so swiftly that it rams half the ships linked up on the beach. And then there's an olive tree there, and then nearby is a cave, sacred to the nymphs. And uh, the nymphs we call naiads. Mm-hmm. And there is a cave there at that little bay. The one you say is is Ithaca. Yeah, a little harbor. Okay, right. Well, it's on the isthmus that I think is the real Ithaca, you know. Right, right. Yeah. And um, it says the caves has two ways in, one facing north and the other facing south belongs to the gods. There is two uh, openings into that cave, I found out. Uh, It sounds like you you have the right, all the evidence points towards your theory being correct. That's what it sounds like. I think so. I think so. We'll have to take a journey over there. Okay. And... um, so again, it says, here at this bay, the fishing crew put in. They'd known in a long time, driving the ship so hard, she ran up onto the beach for a good a good half her length. Such way the oarsman's brawny arms have made, and so on. And then they lift the distance. He's still asleep, really knocked out. And they laid him down on the sand. Now, they're talking about a sandy beach, and most beaches in Greece are not sandy, they're rocky. But the little bay at the north side of Pleiki is rocky. I mean sandy, excuse me. Sandy, right. So that yeah, another... Sandy. Uh, yeah, another indication. Okay. Yeah. And um, and then they put all the... They hoisted out all the treasures and they put it around them. Then they pushed off and sailed home for themselves. Now it goes into a connection with the god, Poseidon, the god of the sea, the one that has it in for Odysseus. And uh, it said, but now Poseidon, god of the earthquake, never once forgetting, uh, you know, in other words, about what Odysseus did, you know, because he blinded his son, the Cyclops. And he says, Zeus, Father, I will lose all my honor now among the immortals. You know, these visions show me no respect. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, he's pissed off at the Ephesians for having taken Odysseus home. Right. And so now, they, his, his, he hurts his son and they help the man who hurt his son. So he wants his measure of, he wants his measure revenge, of justice. Yeah. Yeah, as he sees it, and okay. he and he uh, he's disgusted that they gave him boundless gifts of bronze and hordes of gold and robes and so on. More more plunder than he could ever have won from Troy, which I doubt. Incredible! Zeus and Mar- marches the thunderheads replied, Earthshaker, you with your massive power, why moaning so? The gods don't disrespect you, and so on. But he, but he agrees to give in to him, you know. 
And he said, you know, do as you will. And so <clears throat> what, um, what Poseidon does as revenge is he follows the ship, the, the fishing ship that brought Odysseus home. And then he, he goes to the uh, harbor on Fisia, and he waits there till the ship comes in. And then the earthquake god with one flat stroke of his hand struck her to stone, meaning he turns the ship into stone. And of course it sinks, but then he turns it into a little a little mountain that's it's, it's saying uh, that sticks out of the bay which is really terrible i think it's a it's a wild and unusual kind of punishment yeah and so then, okay so he has his revenge okay. yeah so king alkenowitz realizes it's poseidon's anger that did this and he and then he says uh uh he says, as for Poseidon, sacrificed 12 bulls to the god at once. 12 meaning a sacred number, you know? Mm -hmm. To try to appease him. Does it work? Yeah, I guess it does. Mm -hmm. 12 bulls. Just remember, you all of you playing along at home. If you upset Poseidon, 12 bulls. <laughs> yeah. Safest bet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Um, okay, it says, at that very moment, great Odysseus woke from sleep on native ground at last. And the, okay. And it says, the, uh, the goddess Pallas Athena, Zeus's daughter, showered mist over all, so he, she puts the island under a mist for some reason. Um, and um, and then and when he wakes up, he sees uh, a boy, and it's Athena who's disguised as a little boy. And um, so he says, you know, whose land have I lit on now? Where are we? Are we on violent, savage, lawless uh, people or, or people friendly to strangers, God-fearing men? And... Uh, and then he, he thinks that the Fishians didn't take him home for some reason. And so he says, so damn those lords and captains, those Fishians. Not entirely honest were they. They brought me to this no man's land instead of sunny Ithaca. Well, he's been beset by so many uh, trials, such harsh treatment, such brutality that he just begins to expect it, right? <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, it's understandable that he might think that happened. And especially because it's been now the shrouded land has been made to look like something else, right? So yeah. that throws him off. Okay. So it goes on and says, but now Athena appeared, came toward him. She looked like a young man, a shepherd boy. And uh, Odysseus, overjoyed, went up to meet her, you know, meeting the boy, but uh, it's Athena. And then he says, where on earth am I? What land? Who lives here? 
Is it one of the sunny islands or some jutting shore or the good green mainland slanting down the sea? Athena answered, her eyes brightening now. And she says, you must be a fool stranger and come from nowhere. Uh, for this place is known the world around. So stranger, the name is Ithaca, a name which has reached as far as Troy. And then, and then Homer responds you know, with Odysseus thinking, Ithaca, his heart racing. Odysseus, that great exile, fell with joy to hear Athena. He stood on native ground at last. And he replied with winging words to Pallas. But then, for some reason, he has to lie and talk about where he's been and everything like that. And, and I don't get it at all. Well, I mean, she's pretending he doesn't recognize who she is yet. Yeah. So I guess he's worried. Uh, again, this is a guy who's been through a lot. So that, that's my take on it. He's been through so much. So many people have tried. I mean, the gods, everyone has been at him. So he's probably careful about his identity, which he should have been when he was blinding the Cyclops. Yeah. But that's another story. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And who breathes in, you know. Um, and, you know, so he says, Ithaca, yes, I, I seem to have heard of Ithaca and so on. So he, he goes into this lie, you know. And, um, but as his story ended, the goddess Athena, gray eyes gleaming, broke into a smile. Now she appeared, you know, as herself. A woman, beautiful, tall, and skilled and weaving things. And she says, any man, any god who met you would have to be uh, aware. Uh, you foxy, ingenious man, never tired of twists and tricks. Not even here in native soil would you give up those wily tales. This is, and then she brags about herself. I am famous among the gods for wisdom and cunning too. But you never recognized me, did you? Meaning, you know, when she's disguised as a boy, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. so Odysseus replies, Ah, goddess, the cool tactician encountered. You're so hard for a mortal man to know in sight. Um, the shapes you take are endless. But I do know this, you were kind to me and the warriors, so long as we men of Achaea or Greece, you know, soldiered on to Troy. But once we sacked King Prime's scraggy city and I boarded the ship, from then on I never saw you. But she was always with them. She may not have appeared to them, but she was always with them. Right, right. And then he keeps saying, you know, tell me the truth now. Have I really reached the land I love? And so she reaffirms that he has. And then she says, you must uh, put your wife to prove yourself. But she waits in your halls as always, her life in endless hardship, wasting away the nights, weeping away the days. Um and then she uh, tells him that uh, her son is at uh, Sparta, you know, trying to find out where Odysseus is. Yeah, his son's searching for him as he's searching his way back, right. And she's going to go get the son. Okay. 
And she says, at those words, the goddess scattered the mist and the country stood out clear. And the great man who had borne so much rejoiced at last, thrilled to see his Ithaca. He kissed the good green earth. Which I think is a nice scene, you know? Yeah, it's a wonderful moment, a wonderful scene, just to be home. You know, we all know what that feeling is like. Maybe you've had a hard trip, a hard journey, any number of things, and suddenly you just get back to your house, you get back to your home, get back to your family, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm grounded, you know, I'm safe here. So, yeah, it's it's a universal. Again, one of the things that makes this work so lasting, the, yeah. the reason it's endured so long it's is so because inspiring. it is so universal. Yeah. And we talk about that too, where some say these works are provincial and particular to their time and era and place. And we both say, you and I, Gary, no way. This is no, these no are, way. These are this is a work that transcends, and Homer's work transcends, and we can all relate to it. So, all right. So, so that's so that's how it them, ends. You know, uh-huh. have courage. Free your mind of all anguish now. Come quick. Let's bury your treasure here. So if you, they want to bury its treasure so it'll be preserved and not stolen. Mm-hmm. And then we'll make plans so we can win the day. And so she uh, helps them. And she seals the mouth of the cavern with a stone. And then they sit down by this sacred olive tree to plot the death of the high and mighty suitors. And then she tells them uh, about how the the suitors have been harassing Penelope. All those brazen suitors lording it over your house now, three whole years, courting your noble wife, offering gifts to win her. So they were there three years, and three is another sacred number. And uh, I'm reminded of a song I would use when I perform my play on the Odyssey, my play for children, but adults seem to like it too. And uh, it's a song by Pink called Who Knew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've mentioned that. And she's talking, uh, and she's like Penelope. She's talking about her lover is away, but she has people telling her, forget him, he's not coming back. And she says that... Uh, in the course of the song, she says, in some months and three years, if you're not back, you know, so she mentioned number three. I don't think the song was inspired by the Odyssey. It's just a coincidence, but I think it's a neat, a neat coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so so she tells the digits, come, let's weave a scheme so you can pay them back. Gray eyes ablaze, the goddess urged me on said, surely I will stand beside you. I have, and then she goes on to say, I have a feeling those men who court your wife and waste your goods, that some will splatter your ample floors with all their blood and brains. How about that? It's a pretty brutal phrase from the divine. We don't quite associate our sense of the divine with being that kind of bloody, but you know, this is a different era and a different sensibility. So, yeah, that's something to hear a goddess tell you. You'll get their blood and brains across the floor. But then she wants to allow him to get into the palace without being killed by the suitors um, <clears throat> who would recognize him, you know, obviously. And says, um, 
says, first I will transform you so no man will know you. I will shrivel your skin. I will strip off your russet curls from your head. I will deck you out in rags. And, but you, on, on your way home, she says, but you must make your way to your swine herd first. His name is Eumaeus, who's in charge of your pigs, who has been true to you always, your loyal friend to your son and to Penelope. You will find him posted with his swine at Raven's Rock and by the spring called Arethusa. I think I may have discovered these places on uh, Paliki, you know, on that peninsula. Mm-hmm. And then she says, I'm off to Sparta where the women are a wonder to call your Telemachus home. <clears throat> so shrewd Odysseus answered her at once. Um, in other words, he appreciates what she's going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and she tells him how the suitors had sailed a ship, a black cutter, she calls it, to uh, encounter Telemachus on his way home to uh, assassinate him, but she makes sure that doesn't happen. And then the chapter ends, she says, no more words, no, not now. Athena stroked Odysseus with her wand. She shriveled his supple skin and his light limbs, stripped the rusted curls from his head, covered his body top to toe with the wrinkled hide of an old man, and dimmed the fire in his eyes. She turned his shirt and cloak into squalid rags, ripped and filthy, smeared with grime and soot. She flung over, over him a long pelt of a deer, gave him a staff and a beggar's sack. All plans made, they went their separate ways, Athena setting off to bring Telemachus home, and Odysseus to his palace. And that's how the chapter ends. All right. And with that, we have gone through another chapter of the Odyssey. First of all, let us thank Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. And I want to thank you all for listening. This is Sean Marlon Newcomb. This is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. We've been... uh, Looking at the Odyssey chapter 13, this is Classical Studies 101. We'll be back again with you very soon. Thanks and God bless.